0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess
1: Ghannam. And this is Jamal Dajani.
0: Jamal, we have a great show today. For the first part of the show today, we're going to be talking about the Arab Talk perspective and analysis on the current crop of Democratic candidates for the presidency for 2020, which will be interesting to get an Arab Talk analysis of all of these candidates. And in the second half, we're going to be joined by a producer, Malik Najjar, who's producing a new play as part of the Golden Thread series that is uh, taking place in San Francisco right now. So we've got a really great show going on here for Arab Talk. Now, let's start with our first uh, segment, Jamal. That's right.
1: So, so Jess, with 14 confirmed candidates, this is my last count, three exploratory committees and multiple maybes. The Democratic field for the 2020 presidential nomination is already crowded, right? So we're gonna at least go and and again to our listeners. We're not making any recommendations. No recommendations. This is this is our take. This is our analysis on this crowded field. Uh, You know, and uh, so I'll start. Actually, I, I, I've i compiled a list and the list is alphabetical. So we also <laughs> don't even show any kind of preference. Are you sure? I am sure. I am sure. We're, uh, we're, you know, so we're not, get, we're not making any, any kind of recommendations. Again, this is very important for our listeners and our viewers to, to know. So we're going to go. And, you know, sometimes um, we might speak a little bit less about certain candidates because we don't know much about them or we feel you know, they're kind of unknown and they're probably not our front runners and just, uh, uh, you know, we're maybe we'll talk more about the front runners than others. Nevertheless, let's start. So the first candidate we have Jess and and, and this is also a quiz for you to see how much do you know about these candidates? Okay. Have you heard about uh, John Delaney? John
0: Delaney I just recently heard about and frankly, Uh, He what I do know about John Delaney is He only recently came into the picture. He announced, I believe yesterday or the day before. Um, and I don't have a lot of information about him, so you're gonna have to prep me on that.
1: So the first our first candidate is John Delaney. He's a former congressman from Maryland and uh, he basically, he. Uh, he's a former congressman. He's a former c- uh, congressman from Maryland. Started two uh, publicly listed lending companies from uh, before running for office in 2012. A first generation to go to college. He stresses his electrician father's union membership on the campaign trail. And uh, he uh, was. Uh, basically just he was uh, the very first Democrat to announce uh, he was running back in July 2017. That's why I said don't get surprised. Don't be surprised by some of the information because yet, you know, he's still listed uh, running. So, so he was the first one to announce his candidacy back in July 2017 He's already visited every country, every county in Iowa, the first state uh, in the primary contest, uh, basically attempting to jumpstart his national campaign. So this is how we're going to handle it. It's almost like a quiz. Okay. Some information, uh, something about their their uh, basically. Well, first
0: uh, of all, we don't know much about this guy. Well, I mean, we don't that's, know that's, much, that's but that's you know, the first thing. This is the first thing. He's he's
1: 55 years uh, old. He's been six years in politics. Who gives him money? So I've kind of also compiled this question. Where do they get their funding? Uh, the biggest idea, for example, for the economy. Uh, social media following, because I get a lot of the information from social media, and again, I want to welcome our viewers who are viewing us on Facebook live and some, some, something like this. And then our impression. Okay. Um, so he gets his funded by banks, housing and construction companies in his congr- uh, congressional race, independently wealthy. So he's now funding him h- himself. So he's not taking.
0: He's funding himself. Very, very
1: little that. from my, from my digging around. He has fourteen thousand four hundred Twitter followers, three hundred fifty-seven thousand uh, Facebook followers, twenty-one hundred Instagram. He's a centrist, from what I looked at. But what's his main policy? drawn by his nuts and bolts pitch to improve workers' rights, education, and infrastructure, and who will. Then you know who, who do you think the who like who will like him or who will hate him?
0: Well, That's I think question. obviously people who will like him will be probably um, mainline Democrats, middle of the road Democrats, Democrats who would we call the elite of the Democratic Party, people who have a lot of money, people who are business people with you know who are Democrats and who want to maintain the status quo. Of the democratic machinery and the democratic establishment, I think he would appeal to them.
1: Yeah, and probably he is not going to be um, kind of he's not going to be welcomed by the mainstream party. He's he's basically a little bit on the fringes. He people don't think that he's going to reach out to Donald Trump's voters. He's no. not going to make a difference. So, nevertheless, he is the first candidate.
0: Well, let me just say another thing. He will not appeal at all to the emerging progressive wing of the Democratic Party, the progressive wing that is much younger, much more committed to social justice, much more committed to the envi- environmental issues, much more committed to health care for all. This is not an individual who, who by and large, is going to appeal to this
1: more progressive part of the Democratic. So party. we know very little about him also. And which means if you and I know very little about him, that the rest of the country <laughs> don't know, even know that he's in the running. So it's an uphill battle. Name recognition is key to winning any election. He has a good thing going for him. He has money so he can right. like Donald Trump fund his own campaign. But he has no name recognition. Right. Next one. And let's see if you know, Andrew Yang. I'm
0: sorry to say that I have no idea who Andrew
1: Yang is. I'm happy because if I can surprise you, just imagine I'm the, the rest of our the country, the rest of our listeners. So Andrew Yang, former tech entrepreneur who started a nonprofit to promote startups, Yang entered the race November 16, 2018 on, session, uh, on essentially one single Issue protecting Americans from job stealing robots. He's the son of Taiwanese. This is this is his main issue. Main Main issue. He's he's the son of Taiwanese immigrants. He sells himself as the opposite of Trump, an ego free Asian man who likes math. Uh, I, I have to hand it this is this is a key slogan ego free because we know what. who's Donald Trump. And also, he loves math, and he's a a smart guy. Both of them are opposite.
0: That's that's very different from Donald Trump. 44 years old. uh, Who gives him money? Um, I don't know. Probably wealthy Taiwanese, wealthy Chinese.
1: We don't know, but actually from digging around individual contributors. I don't know if they come. This comes from Taiwan or somewhere else. uh, Some who donate in Bitcoin
0: cryptocurrency he's
1: also using some of his own money and his uh, biggest idea for the economy a thousand dollar monthly check sent to every American over 18 so they can pay their bills as robots take over jobs really this is his idea
0: well um, frankly I feel like there are too many mental health issues for this individual uh, just based on this being his major platform it tells me that not only he doesn't have an ego, but that he's not really have his finger on the pulse of what's going on in this country or where the Democratic Party is. So that's great that he's thrown
1: his hat into the ring. But unfortunately, has no idea what's going on with the Democrats. Well, he has some fans Silicon Valley types because he's basically speaks their language. Promoters right. of universal basic income, UBI. They like him. Uh, what else? People who hate him, anyone against higher taxes. Yang wants to fund his UBI proposal through value added taxes. So when people hear the More word taxes, yeah. taxes they uh, again to me, name recognition. He does not have the name recognition less than one percent. He has automated. to spend a lot of money. Nevertheless, he's our he is the second and we're again. I want to remind our listeners we're just going alphabetically, not by not by fame and name and whatever. Third candidate. Yes. Uh, Julian Castro.
0: Well, Julian Castro is one of the Castro brothers. He's a former uh, secretary, I believe, of the commerce under the Obama administration. He has a lot of I wouldn't say a lot, but has some executive experience. We would put Julian Castro, I believe, in the category of if you think of the Democratic Party as, you know, mainstream more progressive and then slightly more to the middle. We put Julian Castro more toward the progressive side, not 100% progressive, but clearly in the leaning toward progressive camp. He will obviously appeal to the emerging and large Latino communities uh, in the United States who don't universally, by the way, uh, vote the Democratic Party. So, you know, we need to be clear about that. I believe his immigration uh, stance is 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 probably very strong and where he's going to be running a lot. He clearly does not um, is very been very critical of the Trump administration's immigration policy right now. And uh, I believe he has a pretty strong uh, perspective on uh, the Affordable Care Act and health
1: care for all. So I think, you know, he's got a decent chance. So you have more information about him. He has some name recognition with you. And you're right. He, after growing up uh, in a poor San San Antonio neighborhood, Castro and twin brother Joaquin went on to earn Ivy League degrees and take on careers in national politics. The one-time mayor of San Antonio, Castro was U.S. Secretary of Housing, so he knows housing, a lot about yeah. housing, and urban development under Barack Obama. That experience alone, along with his mother's activism with the Lat- with Latino groups. Uh, is a central part of his narrative. So uh, he entered the race uh, on January 12th, 2019 He's 44 years of uh, age. Uh, Who gives him money? He pledged not to take a dime from political action committees. Well, I think that's so this is something he said there are no public records about who contributed. To his runs for mayor because San Antonio is only required to keep campaign finance documents for two years. The pack he created to support new Democratic candidates in 2018 election. It's called opportunity first has vowed not to take donations from corporate packs. So this is what we know about him. And, uh, You know, uh, who will like this candidate? Probably Democrats looking for a fresh face, Latino voters, free traders. Who will hate him? Probably Democrats dismissive of identity politics, opponents of affirmative action, which Castro supports. Okay. So, but he is a a, a known name. He's a known name. Not (coughs) huge. Now we're going to move to the kind of bigger names. And this is again, by chance, just alphabetically okay, who's again. Next? The next one is our own Senator Kamala Harris in California.
0: Well, with Kamala Harris, Jamal, we know something about Kamala Harris. She is the uh, junior senator from California. She's the former attorney general of the state of California. She's the former local San Francisco district attorney. Um, Kamala Harris uh, rose to fame after she, you know, uh, became senator for, you know, the largest uh, state in the union. She also rose to fame and received quite a bit of um, positive uh, reviews during the Kavanaugh uh, hearings when she was very strong and some people might say strident in her questioning of Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court nomination. Kamala Harris, though, this is where we get into some interesting things. She likes to be perceived as a progressive. But when you scratch below the surface, Jamal, Kamala Harris is not really progressive. She's what I would call, um, uh, selectively progressive. Okay, on you some have to, issues. You have to
1: qualify this because also I see here some questions. People say any info on their stance relative to Palestine. Or well, that's what I was is that say. Too, touchy? No, Somebody, it's not too touchy. It's not too touchy for no, the show. You, no,
0: no. <laughs> nothing's too touchy for the show. Let's call what it is. Kamala Harris last year. Wh- she's claiming to be a progressive instead of going to APAC and being proud of it, what Kamala Harris did, Jamal, she went to the APAC convention and she went around the side door and gave a private uh, lecture to APAC elite. And she was once her uh, lecture or her talk was leaked to the press, her fawning all over pro Israel policies and her love for Israeli government policies was, you know, Roundly criticized by everybody in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party because she spoke about her fond love of Israel, uh, despite the fact that it continues to engage in illegal colonial settler policies. This year, she, along with other Democratic candidates, took a pledge not to go to AIPAC. So You might think Kamala Harris is progressive because she is willing to stand up to APEC. I'm (laughs) waiting. I'm
1: waiting for the however.
0: However, (laughs) what Kamala Harris decided to do instead of going to APAC, she decided to invite APAC to come to her to her office to her office. So Kamala Harris is trying to she's trying to to have um, her
1: cake and eat it
0: too. And it's not possible, Kamala, because people are smarter than that. So Kamala Harris, woman of color, uh, father's uh, Afro-Caribbean mother is from, child of
1: Jamaican and Indian immigrants,
0: right? So she can tout her bona fides as being a woman of color. Um, but I think Kamala Harris's biggest problem is going to be that on the critical issues relating to progressive politics in the Democratic Party, she's going to fail. She's taking big money. So she's taking money from big donors who are problematic. And then secondly, her stance in relation to uh, the brutal occupation that Israel engages with. She's down the middle straight pro-APAC,
1: uh, pro-Israel supporter. So let's look at who gives her money, right? Well, I, I think she's going to get money from the big donors, Jamal. Well, in the past five years, uh, 35% of uh, her campaign funds have come from small donors. 35%? Thirty-five per- This according to the center for responsive politics analysis of federal election commission data this is where i re- i got my information her top sources of funding include attorneys because you know she's an attorney herse- herself uh, retirees fin- uh, finance uh, financiers and the entertainment industry you know this is obvious because she's from california her biggest contributors by employer were warner media
0: well, that's problematic. The
1: University of California. That's problematic. Google parent Alphabet Inc. That's even more problematic. 21st Century Fox and the law firm Venable. Her presidential campaign won't accept donations from corporate PACs.
0: But they're, she's taking money from big corporations, just not their PACs. I mean, she's taken money from you know, pretty significant uh, corporate
1: donations, just not from their pack. So, so, so what? So her big uh, big idea for the economy is the lift act. You've heard of the lift act. Yeah, I'm not uh, convinced. a working it. and middle class tax cut akin to the earned income tax credit uh, that she says will provide up to five hundred dollars a month to families. To pay for it, she wants to re, to reverse Trump's 2017 tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy. So corporations and wealthy people will not like her. We know that. So uh, she has a big following, big name recognition. She's kind of a, she's huge, right? Kamala Harris is a big name. She's, I mean, she actually polls third, Jamal. I mean, yeah, she, she does, but, but still she's she's a huge, a huge name. She's a senator from California. She rose within kind of the ranks, I would say fairly quickly. Huge Twitter following 2.37 million uh, people following her on Twitter, 1.22 million on, uh, on Facebook, oh, Facebook and one and a half on Instagram. So, who will like her? Uh, I would say fans of Obama will progressive. No. Practise I don't think so. You don't think so? No. I I, think I think
0: she's she's disingenuous when it comes to real progressive issues. I think there's a real chance that she's going to get called out. On some of these progressive issues,
1: I would say. Well, I'll put this under the category because the next question would be people who will hate her okay. are progressives who thought Obama was a sellout, particularly right. those who question, you know, her mixed record on reforming the justice system, and then others. In that case, this game playing, I'm going to go speak to AI, AIPAC once. Go to the AIPAC convention. Uh, you know, without any cameras and whatever behind the scene. And then the right. next time say, I'm not going to go as a candidate. I refuse to go. But speak I'm going to bring them to my, but office. I'll bring them to my office and then and have a photo up and post it on my Twitter and Facebook pages.
0: Yeah, that's why I think Kamala Harris is going to have some problems, Jamal. I am not convinced that Kamala Harris. I mean, I I think you remember that when we were first talking about this a number of months ago, I predicted one of my New Year's predictions was I predicted that the Democratic ticket for 2020 would be Biden and Harris. So it that was still be. that was many, many months ago, even though that's still a a possibility. I believe that the stock value, so to speak, the political stock value for both Harris and Biden has taken a hit since my original prediction.
1: Okay, so in the next candidate is Cory Booker.
0: Well, Cory Booker is very interesting. He is. Uh, former mayor of Newark, New Jersey, uh, likes to carry himself as a real progressive, Uh, is the junior senator from New Jersey now, made a name for himself also during the Kavanaugh hearings, Um, likes to see himself as a man of the people, African American, very strong on progressive uh, politics. And I believe he is also one of the candidates who took the pledge, not. To go to APEC, however, there's always a however. He's <laughs> still a big supporter of Israel. He just decided not to go to APEC. So again, in terms of the progressive side of the Democratic Party, it's unclear whether or not his his stock with the truly progressive uh, side of the
1: Democratic Party uh, will be that great. To be honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he is also has some name recognition. He he's, he's a Rhodes scholar and yellow graduate who gained celebrity politician status thanks to his early use of social media. He's been active right. on social media. But at the same time, uh, the, this U.S. senator from New Jersey has been criticized for being close to wealthy elites and for media friendly stunts that's kind of like his reputation. Well, you know,
0: Jamal, he is very friendly towards Wall Street and very friendly towards Wall Street bankers and banking institutions. So, okay, w- we're not endorsing anybody here, obviously, but if you're going to claim to be progressive, yet be in the pocket of wealthy uh, Wall Street uh, institutions and banking institutions, I'm not sure you can really call yourself Progressive.
1: Well, you 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 are on the right track because when it comes to who gives him money, mostly large indi- individual contribute contributors from investment and security uh, firms, legal firms, real estate the real estate sectors, deep-pocketed Democratic donors set up a super PAC for Booker before he even entered the race. So he's well-funded. Uh, His biggest idea for the economy is a baby bond program that would give every child a U.S. Treasury bond at birth with a larger amount for poorer kids he would also propose guaranteeing a $15 minimum wage job in five test areas i mean it's not a big deal in california cuz $15 is still low it's still low but that's <laughs> really weak that's his that's
0: really weak and again i think one of the pro- two problems with cory booker in relation to the progressive wing is that his stance on israel is not progressive by any stretch of the imagination and you could make the argument that he's still in bed uh, with uh, Wall Street elites and the elites of the Democrat uh, Democratic Party, so Cory Booker, I'm not so sure. We'll we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, we're if I had to give you know, and we haven't done this with all the candidates. If I would ha- if I would give like a a genuineness genuineness assessment of each of these candidates, Cory Booker doesn't always come across as totally genuine. He comes a- across as a bit too earnest at
1: times. But, you know. He's very popular, by the way. He's African American also. He so uh, has a huge Twitter following, 4.18 million people. Right. right. Facebook, over a million and a quarter. And uh, he is, uh, I think, people like his optimistic message. They think that he is a big contrast to Trump's negativity. That's how they view him. So this is how he's been evaluated. We'll see. All right. Moving forward, guys. uh, um, Tulsi Gabbard.
0: Okay. Tulsi Gabbard is kind of interesting. Tulsi Gabbard is a uh, congresswoman from Florida. I mean, Hawaii. I'm sorry. Um, Clearly, on the spectrum of the Democratic Party from progressive to, you know, traditional Democrat, uh, big, deep pocket, deep money, pocket money, Democrats. She's on the side of the progressive wing of things. She's, you know, health care for all uh, high minimum wage. Um, her progressive politics rival that of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. She is very strong on the question of Palestine has been criticized for it. Definitely not going to APAC. Um, The downside for Tulsi Gabbard, I'm not sure she has great name recognition at this point, uh, but she's a solid in terms of uh, her progressive bona fides.
1: Well, she has criticism, we should add, you know, because of uh, a controversy that she met with Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad and sided with Russian President Vladimir Putin against Obama on U.S. intervention in Syria. You know, she's she's against military inter- intervention. Right. She's against you military. Know. Intervention. She, you know, so right. th- that's those are the big criticisms. Right. However, also, she's been to Iraq. She was been part of the military. She speaks about fighting radical Islam. So this is kind of like was part of her lingo. But I think uh, she's she's th- she doesn't use that uh, now. And who gives her money? Well, I think most of her donors are small donors, I would say. Health professionals, real estate interest groups, most donors are individuals, though her second largest contribution in between 2011 2018 came from the National Automobile Dealers Association PAC. That's
0: a little strange. I don't you know, know what to I mean, make that, I this is, you know. I don't know
1: what to make of that. And her big ideas cut taxes on small businesses and farmers, raise them on corporations, lower military spending by ending regime change wars and reducing the acquisition of nuclear weapons.
0: Okay, so she's on the progressive side of things. Okay, that's Tulsi Gabbard. Next Elizabeth Warren. Well, Elizabeth Warren. Wow. Elizabeth Warren has really excellent name recognition, as we know. She is probably, Jamal, when you look at the standard bearers of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, you think of two people primarily. You think of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren, uh, very strong on economic policy, very strong on social justice issues, did not go to APAC, was one of those individuals who decided that she would not go to APAC. And more importantly, recently, within the last couple of weeks, it's been very interesting. She has refused to take any money from any big uh, corporate PACs or any large, you know, PAC that's out there. She's focusing her attention on small dollar donations. And as a result, her finance chairman decided to quit because she was refusing to meet with deep pocket big donors of the well, She's promising
1: to restore the US to a place where people can succeed if they work hard and play by the rules by holding billionaires and big corporations accountable. accountable. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so now uh, let's look at who gives her money, uh, the education industry, but mostly salt, small donors, women's packs are behind her yeah. and the legal profession in the past. She was supported by the legal profession. I don't think anymore. And she's pledged. You're right. She's pledged uh, to take no money from billionaires or billionaire packs in 2020. That's her her pledge. Her biggest idea for the economy, a wealth tax of 2% on net worth over $50 million right. and 3% over $1 billion uh, designed to raise $2.75 over a decade. She has the name recognition uh, I think she has more name recognition, in my opinion, because Trump made her famous. He hates her. He mocks her. Right. And I don't know, even with this negativity that he brings, it's good for her. It's good for her because it brought her kind of like in the under the spotlight sure. for many Americans. Now, how many more people do you have? We're, we're going. We're going to okay. go. I know it's getting, you know. Amy Klobacher.
0: Okay, Amy Klobuchar is... Uh, Klobuchar, sorry. Uh, that's sorry, okay. Amy.
1: Sorry, Amy. Amy Klobuchar
0: was. is a senator from, uh, gosh, I- I'm from the Midwest. I should know this. It's either Wisconsin or Minnesota. I believe it's Minnesota. Amy Klobuchar is very interesting candidate. She, her, uh, an attorney, uh, very well-respected, middle-of-the-road Democrat, is trying to do the Kamala Harris thing, by playing both sides of the I'm a solid Democrat in the middle but I'm trying to be progressive. she did go to APAC so she didn't swear off the go to APAC. Um, her politics Jamal are very interesting insofar as that she sees herself as a moderate Democrat. Uh, her claim to fame also was her, very expert questioning of Brett Kavanaugh during the Supreme Court nomination hearings in the Senate. She has good name recognition. Um, She is perceived as being a a tough, tough person. In fact, some of her negative, uh, some of her former campaign staffers said that, you know, when they left or were fired, that she's too harsh of a leader. So, you know, Amy Klobuchar is, I would put her clearly.
1: Away from the progressive wing, but uh, so you think she's a centrist? I think she's 100% a centrist. She gets money from law firms and the food and and dairy industry. Uh, she is. Uh, she has pledged not to get dark money. As what's, dark, referred, what's dark? What's out mean? of politics? And said that she won't take corporate PAC money for the 2020 race. Her biggest idea for the economy: new measures to make it easier for small and mid-sized U.S. businesses to export goods worldwide. And so I, I don't know about her. I don't know a lot about her. I've watched her speak few times. You know, you're right. She's a senator from Minnesota and uh, she still has, uh, I think, a lot of work for more name recognition. The rest of the country, they don't know much about her. Next big name, Bernie Sanders.
0: Okay, let me talk about the burn. Feel the burn, Jamal. This is not an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders.
1: Well, when you say it this way, it sounds like an endorsement it's and we said to our listeners and viewers, it's not an, not endorsement. an endorsement. Okay, I,
0: I, I said feel the burn only because that's the bumper sticker that you see all over the Bay Area. That's that's the support slogan for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is the definition of progressive politics and the definition of progressive Democratic wing. He He's an independent, but for running for president, he has to run. Uh, as a Democrat, um, he's health care for all, he's no wars. Ironically, Bernie Sanders is probably he doesn't go to APAC. He's very critical of the Israeli government. He's very critical. He is probably on the question of Palestine. Among the Democrats running for president, he could ironically be the strongest person in terms of the question of Palestine and peace in the Middle East. Bernie Sanders also has raised the most money so far of all of the Democrats.
1: I have to say 75% of his campaign funds have come from small donors, small donors in amounts of less than $200. He has the largest uh, Twitter following, doesn't so, he? So this of is all according, the candidates. Yeah, I don't know if li- uh, He has a large mm-hmm. Twitter. Let me see if it's the largest. Yeah, it could be the largest. He has 8.1 million yeah, on Twitter, of, of the Democratic Facebook party. 7.5 yeah. million, Instagram 2.9 million million i mean he has a lot of following a lot of f- support even for his age which we should say and this is the Jamal, wrong way of thinking come on, the come wrong on. way of thinking uh, age 70 age. age 77 he's very popular with the age group 18 to 25 absolutely so so that gives you that shows you something very strong and very positive so we're going to pick up this conversation. Next yes, week. next week. And I have to say, because we have to be fair. So next week we have to, you know, there are candidates that many of people who have not heard. Buttigieg. Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee. Yeah. Buttigieg. Yes. Beto, Actually, he is not declared yet. He will. Beto O'Rourke. John Hickenlooper. Hagenlooper. Looper. And, of course, Beto o- o- O'Rourke is very kind of like has a lot of name recognition. Very Joe popular. Biden. Kristen Gillibrand. Gillibrand, yeah. Gillibrand. Wayne M- uh, Mesam. So people don't know about that name, but he's actually in the running. When you mentioned uh, uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg. Buttigieg, he has an exploratory committee supposed to announce something this week. And then you have Marianne Williamson. And well, we'll get Joe of- Biden, by the way, is... Considering, Well, well so well. he's in the considering. So we're gonna take a short uh, musical. No, nah, actually, we're not. We don't have time to take a short break. We have. We have to go to our next guest.
0: We're gonna go to our next guest. So,
1: so we are gonna go to our next guest, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Again, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, and uh, we're broadcasting live right here on eighty nine point five FM in San Francisco. We're also on Facebook Live. And we have well, a lot Shema, to talk about. So yeah. we're going to our next guest in the studio now in the house. Uh, we're, so we're going to be talking now with our next guest. And this is about a U.S. premiere play scenes from 71 years by uh, Hannah Khalil, uh, directed by Michael Malik Najjar.
0: Uh, Malik uh, we're so happy to have you here today man.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on here. this.
0: This is a world premiere you. You. and um, I mean there's a lot to talk about yeah. but uh, for our listeners who may not know uh, who may not know you Malik tell our listeners a little bit about your background as a director. Sure. Uh,
2: well I'm currently an associate professor of theater arts at the University of Oregon um, and my specialty is Arab American, Middle Eastern American, and Middle Eastern theater. So, my. Um, is that a big uh, area? It's. Well, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's getting not. bigger. <laughs> it's getting bigger. But, you know, um, I wrote a book about the history of Arab American theater, and I traced it back to the beginnings with uh, the Penn Group, with wow. uh, Khalil Gibran, with oh, Amin Rahani right. and right. uh, Michel Naimi. And I traced their evolution all the way from that time through the present day with writers like Betty Shamia, uh, Yusuf El Gundi, uh, Hannah Khalil, and others.
0: By the way, three of those people we've had local. Here. Uh, are, are she, yeah,
1: she's from San Francisco. Oh, we yeah. know her parents. We yeah. know her since yeah. she was young. young. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, so we we are part of that uh, history that you wrote about. Absolutely. So um, you have an academic background, I but do. also you're you're a producer. Yeah, and a I, director. I'm a director. Yes. Yeah, so. And so you are you have your hands on both sides, both sides of the aisle, so to speak. <laughs> That's right. So tell us a little bit about scenes from 71 years. Um, it's a very it's a very compelling uh, title for a play. Well, um, it's based
2: on the founding of the state of Israel in 1948. So that's every year that the the play progresses, the number changes. It was originally written as scenes from 62 years. It was produced. Are you as, kidding me? Really? No, seriously. Oh uh, wow. And then it was produced as scenes from 68 years at the world premiere in London, and now it's scenes from 71 years. Um, and unfortunately, of course, the the topic is occupation, and so here we are, all these years later, and that number uh, continues and we're still dealing with the same uh, political situation.
0: It's it's re- we're going to get to the content of it and this is sure. by the way for our listeners uh, we've been supporting and interviewing and having people from Golden Thread Productions here on Arab Talk for 10 years tomorrow right. so and we've been
1: to the place. i think been it's a great pl- yeah program. i mean it's a Thank it's you. a
0: fantastic organization golden thread with their you know their own director and founder Toraj. Um, who does great work here in the Bay Area promoting, um, you know, these kinds of uh, these kinds of works. But I would imagine that as a as a director, the question of Palestine and producing it for um, a general audience, to put it mildly, is probably a complex process. (laughs) Yes. How would you describe your process?
2: uh, I call it the third rail of politics and art. Uh, because honestly, uh, many of the theater companies that have tried to produce pro-Palestinian works shut down. Yeah. Uh, will be defunded or yeah. shut down, and so um, this play is very bold, and it's very bold of Golden Thread to dare to approach it, frankly. And you know, I, this is a this is a play that deals with the Palestinian perspective primarily. So we're looking at uh, a production that is focused primarily on Palestinian lives and what the Palestinians are going through through this occupation. And um, and the desire to tell these stories, not in a sensationalized way, but to give these people a dimensional, three-dimensional uh, presence on American stages, something that they've been denied, quite frankly, for the, for the very last few uh, decades, if not century. <laughs> so that is really one of our goals, is how can we rehumanize humanize and, and uh, re-dimensionalize a population that's been treated this way
0: in the media? But how do you do that um, and do it in a nuanced way and do it in a way that does justice and uh, fidelity, if you will, to the story? Because, you know, 71 years is a long time to be occupied, obviously. Yeah. And it's really a generational occupation now, because aren't we going now... Into the fourth generation of occupation in Palestine? And in truth,
2: uh, it's about the choices you make. I mean, everything that goes on a stage should be a choice that a director and designers make. And so we've made very specific choices. For instance, uh, I uh, was able to have uh, Taranj hire uh, Dia Abdo, who's oh, yeah. a professional uh, translator and a professor of Arabic um, from Guilford College, to translate some of the script into Palestinian dialect Arabic. We are using Palestinian costuming. We are wow. using Palestinian images in the projections on the on the upstage wall. As a matter of fact, the wall that we have up upstage has the names of several of the Palestinian villages that were depopulated and destroyed in the 48 uh, war. So, therefore, um, we are we are really making the choices that are trying to uh, m- to tell this story in the most nuanced, most um, detailed, and important ways. And of course, it's all based on academic research. Being being a professor myself, I have right. to use that as my basis.
0: So let's, let's get into the weeds a little bit. Sure. In terms of what 71 years of occupation, you know, and stories for that, those years, what would you describe thematically as the main themes that kind of come out uh, in, in the play that uh, you're directing right now? How would you kind of, what is the space of the themes that uh, you think are represented here? Well, it's a reflection and
2: a remembrance. So we're we're reflecting on on the past 71 years, the lives that have been um, that have been destroyed, frankly, or or uh, changed by those years. And it's also an opportunity for us to uh, take a moment to memorialize those lives. You know, when you go to the Middle East, as we all have done, and you see that there are not monuments, there are not walls, and there are not uh, uh, statues to many of these events. Therefore, uh, it becomes the onus is on us to use the theater as a memorializing um, Apparatus if you will to memorialize these lives to tell these stories because they're not being told and they're not being memorialized Even in places like Sabra and Chitila, for instance, right. where the the horrific massacre occurred There is no monument there. Why you know So we have to take it upon ourselves to use these stories to create these monuments in the minds of our audiences
0: We're we're speaking with um the director yes <laughs> <laughs> i keep calling you the producer yes, and the, uh, uh, is the producer, i know so uh, let's Tarange, make sure we give her I, the props Taranj, if you're listening i'm really sorry <laughs> i know you're the producer yes. but we are spe- <laughs> we're, we're speaking with the director if you will of uh, 71 um, the play and the scenes from 71 scenes years scenes from 71 years okay. Um, okay i have to we have to get we have to get to the backlash Uh, question Mm -hmm. um, Malik right so what has been the backlash I mean I mean you're in academia you know about the attack on uh, Palestinian and academics and academics who are Mm pro-Palestinian so question number one how are even though Oregon is a bit progressive have you personally Mm -hmm. had to experience any of that backlash as an academic and then number two what about the play and any backlash from the play.
2: Well, we'll see what happens when it opens. But I can tell you that um, writing about this topic is, of course, fraught with all sorts of political implications. Um, the point is, though, that through the different publications that we've created, for instance, I published six plays by uh, from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which was co-curated with uh, Jamil Khoury out of right. uh, Silk Road Rising in Chicago. and. It's interesting. You'll find people that are very open-minded. When we had the stage reading series, we had a lot of people who were Arab or Jewish or otherwise, and they would come and they would actually sit through the plays. I was expecting people to stand up and shout and leave. That's what they, I would expect. They, they stayed through the plays. They stayed to have uh, respectful discussions afterwards. I think that there is a hunger for this kind of nuanced dialogue because the news is giving us nothing but... Uh, There's no nuance in there the news. There is no nuance in the news, unfortunately. So programs like your own and others have got to be there to create the nuances, or else audiences will be misled by the things that they're seeing, because the news, of course, is sensationalized, in this, especially in this context.
1: That's right. So we should talk a little bit about where people can watch the, the play. Okay. Uh, it's coming up very, I mean, April 5th. Yes, right? we have our previews, April 5th, 6th, and 7th, and we open on the
2: 8th. And we close on the 8th of May. So, so April, April, from
1: run. April 5th to May 5th yes. at the Portrero stage, which is 1695 18th 18, 18 on eighteenth Street in San Francisco. Yes, in Portrero Hill. So people can go online and uh, where can they get the
2: tickets? The tickets are available through Golden Thread's website. So if you just Google uh, Golden Thread Productions, you'll find uh, that information. Tickets are very easily purchased uh, either through their phone or their, uh, their website.
0: Well, you know what, uh, Jamal, I think it's really topical. I mean, the fact that Malik is, uh, is, is doing this production now at this historical moment, given the historical context of where we're in right now, where people are able to say things like Palestine doesn't even exist. We had that uh, councilman from Brooklyn who said recently that Palestine does not even exist. And so we're we're, and and of course, the rhetoric from the White House and the Trump administration. Yes, it would be. It would be understatement to say that it's been not just anti-Palestinian, but dismissive of the existence of Palestine. Yes. Yes. So the timing of you doing this is pretty remarkable that this is coming out now. It's Well, it's very important. I mean, how can we...
2: How can we go on? This how can this situation go on? This untenable situation of what's happening in Gaza, what's going on in the West Bank, um, the fact that we have uh, unilateral declarations that certain parts of the world are given away freely to other people and I other think countries. You're speaking of the Golan Heights, uh, right now? Yes, yeah, specifically. But the, I I don't doubt that in the coming years a similar thing could happen with the West Bank as well. It's, yeah. it's already in the plans. It's already in the plans, as we as many of us know who study this region. So therefore, if we don't have these artistic works now and and if we don't try, artistic, educational, and otherwise, um, we, I think, are missing an opportunity because uh, one year will pass, two years will pass, decades will pass, and centuries will pass. And the question is, even if, say, things don't change on the ground uh, in a, call it what you will, positive way, um, we still have to have left a historical record like the great Edward Said and others um, to leave a historical record to say something was said and no, right. nobody just looked away when this this was occurring and that does not mean you have to be anti anything to do so I mean this is the part that's the false dichotomy right, right. one cannot be pro-Palestinian and you know pro-Israeli at the same time well you know there I, I there are a great many number of people in Israel that are not happy with this situation either and I, I think that we have to also remember that and to speak especially during
1: the ele- well, also recently also, during the election, there well, right Also, now. there so, is this uh, conflation of Zionism with Judaism and the State of Israel, or support. You know, being anti-Zionist now, it's kind of like you're going to be labeled as a anti-Semite and it is rejected by a large number of Jewish Americans now members right. of and, and Jews Party. in Israel. I, I know yeah. playwrights in Israel
2: that I, I speak to and they tell me the same thing they say this you know we here are not happy with what's happening we're not happy with the nation-state law we are not happy with this um, there's a law now that is basically telling Israeli artists that if you do anything quote-unquote anti-state your your funding will be cut I mean these are untenable positions that I think Israelis themselves are finding and uh, people are speaking out about
0: all over the world. You, you know, uh, Malik, I have to confess to um, a, a bias. And I feel like I can confess to that bias freely with you here. Please do. I actually think that theater and uh, of the kind that you're uh, directing is among the most powerful ways to get the message of justice in Palestine, of all of the various techniques that that we use, whether it be political engagement or protests or all of the things that we do. I believe that good theater, being able to tell a story, a powerful story and engage an audience, I think is probably the most powerful way to change a person's mind.
2: Well, I'm biased as well for the theater, so I will agree with you. (laughs) Of course. But that said, you know, in this play there, for instance, is a protest, a demonstration. In this play, there's a Nakba Day celebration. In this play, there are moments where we take you into the the daily lives of Palestinians that are talking around kitchen tables. And these are the stories that I think have to be told. And I think theater has a very unique way of telling it. It's a very indirect power. It's not very
0: direct, but hopefully that indirect power changes things, changes hearts and minds. Uh, We're speaking with Malik Najjar. Malik is the director. Sorry, Turanj. I know you're the producer. (laughs) We're speaking with Malik Najjar, who's the director of the world premiere, well, Bay Area premiere, premiere, U.S. premiere of Scenes from 71 Years, which is going to be premiering uh, under the direction and auspices of Golden Thread. Mm-hmm. When is opening night? Opening night is the eighth, so it's coming up in a
2: few days. We're well, we in it's tech the sun- right now. It's this Sunday, it, isn't it? Uh, Monday, as a Monday is Monday is opening yes. night. Well, we have
1: previews the next uh, three days of fifth, sixth and seventh. <laughs> Scenes from seventy-one years, an epic snapshot of Palestinian epic life right. under occupation. A picnic interrupted by soldiers. Never-ending lines. Sunbathing in the. In the shadow of a tank, Palestinian Irish playwright Hannah Khalil draws from stories of family and friends uh, to reveal the real human story, the dreams, comedy, sadness, and frustrations of daily life in the shadow of the separation wall, which I actually call it apartheid wall. The cast includes members of the Bay Area, Palestinian community. So yeah, who's, it,
2: who's in it? Oh, we have uh, Afif and Nida uh, are in it. Um, they are wonderful members of our community, our theatrical community. they're they're also incredible um, uh, people who who do great advocacy work for Palestine, and they have been so instrumental in helping us get the details right. You know, every once in a while Nida will turn to me and she'll say, you know, Malik, uh, he should be wearing a black and white keffiyeh, not a red and white keffiyeh. Okay, great. Or, you know, how do we pronounce that word? That's we had we had a 20-minute discussion about the word picnic in Arabic. I mean, it was all these wonderful nuances, and, uh, and, and Afif himself mm-hmm plays uh, an elderly Palestinian man on, wow. Naqba, on Nakba Day recounting wow. what happened in the wow. Nakba. So these are, these are the moments that hopefully we are really uh, getting right and we want the Palestinian community to say, hey, that's my story on stage. That is me on stage. That would be our greatest accomplishment.
0: Professor Malik Najjar, that's the voice of Professor Malik Najjar, director uh, from Scenes from 71 Years, the U.S. premiere of Scenes from 71 Years from uh, Hanna Khalil, is uh, Does Hannah know about this? Uh, Not he, only does she know, she
2: actually was kind enough to write, a, uh, send us a Skype uh, recording, oh, giving us fantastic. great words of encouragement going forward. And uh, she can't be here because she's working with these two small companies in England called the Royal Shakespeare Company that's a and, one. and another one uh, in Scotland called the National Theatre of Scotland. She's writing plays for them. <laughs> so we feel minute. bad for her having to do these small projects. But, you know. <laughs>
0: I, she's giving up uh, the royal th- she should give up no I'm just I, you know I, I personally would think that we you know we should be there but that's Gold, okay I, Golden I Thread it. Theater Royal Shakespeare <laughs> Theater it's that's no right. but uh, you know Malik we're very you know very happy to have you here we want to encourage our listeners to go to the Golden Thread uh, website you can buy tickets online you can get them from your phone right. I don't I do not recommend the Arab style of just showing up yeah I, last minute, don't don't Late. wait to the last minute. Yeah. This is going to be a fantastic production, and bring your friends, bring your Please neighbors. Do.
1: You know, this is an opportunity, and you have to a whole. Engage. I mean, which is nice. You know, some of these plays they come and go like one week. You have plenty yep. of time. We do. We have a long run, and hopefully, over that run, you're going to
2: see that play develop. So maybe if you liked it the first time you saw it early on, come back and see how it's changed over the weeks after the discussions and the the different uh, right. input that we receive.
0: Uh, thanks so much for joining us uh, today Malik. Thank and good you. luck with uh, good luck with the play. It's a pleasure thank, to be here. Thank you for listening to Arab Talk. You've been listening to Justin Jamal on Arab Talk. This is KPOO 89.5 FM. We're streaming live on Facebook Live to how many hundreds of thousands of people we don't know. Uh, but we're also you can follow us on our website arabtalkradio.com, SoundCloud, Jamal Dejani too, on Facebook Live. What else, Jamal? Where else can they get us?
1: Just go to ArabTalkRadio.com, and you'll get all the links. Right. We're on iTunes. We're, we're everywhere. SoundCloud. And, of course, uh, you could catch us right here in the Bay Area. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.